Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. We pray for you to touch our hearts with your word and change our hearts, change our minds, and guide us to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the sermon is The Fragrance of Your Life. A gift that made a difference. This is my grandson, Isaiah. He is uh, the son of my daughter and her husband, uh, Peter and Amy McHenry, who are now missionaries in uh, Lebanon, the lovely Lenin from Lebanon. And um, they uh, previously were teachers, uh, biology professors, Peter and Amy, at uh, Southwestern Adventist University in Keene, Texas. And uh, some years ago, they were raising money for the new nursing department building at Southwestern. And uh, my daughter, being a biology professor, was involved in the fundraising. And um, she was sitting at her table and with uh, another lady at their home one day. And uh, the Isaiah, who was probably about six or seven at the time, uh, came up to them. They were, they were talking about this fundraising, and he wanted to know what his mother was doing. And uh, she said, oh, we're, we're raising funds to help build the uh, new nursing department. And he said, well, I want to help. And she said, well, you have a savings account. You know, even little kids, they're teaching them how to save their money. She says, you have a savings account, sweetheart. And if you want to give something to, uh, for this, you can do that. How much would you like to give? All of it, he said. Which touched her heart and uh, the lady that she was working with. He had $26 in his savings account. So the, my daughter talked to the president of the, told this to the president of the university. And the president of the university saw a good, uh, a good story when he heard one, that here was a young lad who was giving all for the nursing department. And he started telling other people. And um, that uh, $26 ended up uh, expanding to, I don't know if it was 2600 or 26000 but uh, it, 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 it went up uh, high. So now, this is what happened. This is the grand opening for the, uh, that is not me standing there with the bow tie. That's the president of the, of the university, this, this guy right here. And, uh, but, he's, but he's wearing the right kind of tie. Um, and this is my grandson here. You'll notice that he's helping to hold the, the scissors uh, to, for the grand opening. They, they invited my grandson to come to the uh, donor's uh, dinner. He was the youngest donor. And uh, so actually when they made the, um, they made the plaque, they, put, they have a special thing here that says, Isaiah McHenry Special Donor Recognition. And my grandson has told his mother that he wants to grow up to be a philanthropist. <laughs> so now he's on his way because um, what happened was that um, there's, a, there's an addition to this story. And that is that um, when my daughter and her husband were there in, are there in Lebanon, uh, they too, as Americans, received the stimulus checks that all of us received. And... Um, uh, for a family with three children, boy, Tim, it's too bad that you're, you're all, all grown up now. My, my brother Tim here has 11 children, but they're all grown. But if, you know, if he'd, 
If it had been the right timing, man, you would have. Always the timing. <laughs> <laughs> always the timing. But uh, they received $7,000 over there in, in Lebanon. And um, Peter and Amy being who they are, they said, we don't need this money. Uh, so they are giving it away. And they've given it to different projects. And they told the children that they could each have $1,000 to give to projects. And uh, one is giving, I think, to a kind of a program to help the poor in Lebanon. Uh, because they have many ties to Texas, one is giving some money to the Cleburne Public Library. And Isaiah heard that they're building a new fine arts they're raising money for a new fine arts building at Southwestern University, and he's giving his $1,000 to help build that new fine arts. You know, he's, he's growing up to be a philanthropist. All right, so our thesis today is that Jesus deserves our finest gift, our deepest devotion, our fullest commitment, our greatest love. Our text is Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. So if you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, it'll also be here on the screen, but uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. It reads like this. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This passage is the beginning of what is called the Markan Passion Narrative. It runs from Mark chapter 14, verse 1, through the end of chapter 16. It is called the Passion Narrative, because it tells the story of the suffering of Jesus with the word passion here referring to that suffering. Uh, this sermon is actually a series in a series of sermons. I've been preaching on the Gospel of Mark for several years at my local church in Michigan. And uh, we're finally now to the passion narrative of the last section of Mark. Um, many people read just the story of the woman 
who anointed Jesus. But actually, it is tied together in Mark with the story of Judas betraying Jesus. Um, these are two stories with one within the other. They're called sandwich stories. Now, the, the, the way this works is one story is begun, and then that story is interrupted by a second story. And then the first story is completed after the second one. So the second story is sandwiched in to the first one. Okay? This happens at least six times in the Gospel of Mark. Um, so it, it, it's, a, it's a rather interesting structure. Uh, the two stories stand in contrast with one another. And uh, dramatized irony is set up between two different characters. They say, how do you know that? It was the subject of my dissertation. Uh, when, I was, uh, when, I was, when I came to the seminary and I took the Gospel of Mark from uh, Dr. Robert Johnston, who now is 90 years old and is still teaching, amazing. May, if, if time should last, may I be like Dr. Johnston and still be able to teach at 90 years of age. Um, but uh, he said, uh, this is a sandwich story. When we came to the first one in Mark chapter 3, I said, sandwich story? What's that mean? And he said, well, scholars say that the two stories interpret one another. And I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? Well, when I came to my, write my dissertation, I decided eventually to do this. I analyzed these stories and uh, came up with the, uh, con- the concept of what was going on in them was that similar characters, similar characters do opposite actions or opposite characters do similar actions. Um, and that these stand in contrast with one another. And typically they're teaching on either the subject of Christology or discipleship or both. And there's other characteristics that go part of it. And this is one of those sandwich stories, the second to the last one. So it's, uh, it's about Judas and this woman that are, are set in contrast with one another. They do very similar, uh, well, they do very surprising actions. Both of them do surprising actions, but the they do them for you know, opposite reasons, what they're, what they're doing. Both do very surprising actions, but for opposite reasons. Judas uh, betrays Jesus to his enemies, and Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. The woman is not named, but she honors Jesus with this precious nard. Judas agreed to betray Jesus for the promise of money. Now, how much did Judas betray Jesus for? You know what it was? 30 pieces of silver. That's right. Which gospel tells you that? It is not Mark. John does not. It's Matthew that tells you. Okay. There's no specific amount that's listed in Mark, nor is Judas's motive described. Well, who was the woman who, 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 who anointed Jesus? Mary. Who tells you that? Gospel of John tells you Mary, the, 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 the sister of Martha, is the one who anointed Jesus. Okay? Somebody says, that's interesting. The woman's act is also not explained, nor is her motive listed. Now, somebody says, well, well uh, why doesn't Mark tell you her name? And why doesn't, uh, why doesn't Mark tell you how much Judas got? Well, sometimes missing information is missing for a reason, okay? Sometimes missing information is missing for a reason. 
In fact, sometimes this is Bible math now. Now, I didn't get, I got C's in calculus. But uh, uh, Bible math works a little bit different. Sometimes addition is subtraction. You say, how is that? Because they leave out information sometimes. They leave out the information to make a point. And if you added it in, you'd lose the point. So, okay, so you, you watch. We'll, we'll see that in this story. This is, by the way, a picture of the nard plant, the flower of the nard plant. And this is a picture of the roots of the nard plant. And this is where they got the oil that made the perfume. All right, they would take this and crush it. It would make a thick ointment. Maybe they took and mixed it with some oil or something. This plant grows in Nepal and northern India, not in the Middle East. That's why it was so expensive. Had to come all the way from India, all the way from Nepal. So very costly. Her costly gifts seems rooted in deep love and devotion, even though we don't, we, it's not told. Jesus explains why she did it, but you know, she never gives an explanation. In fact, she never speaks at all. Here from this book, Desire of Ages, page 560, she could not explain why she had chosen this occasion, that occasion for anointing Jesus. The Holy Spirit had planned for her, and she had obeyed his promptings. Inspiration stoops to give no reason. An unseen present, it speaks to mind and soul and moves the heart to action. It is its own justification. Yes. I like what John 12, verse 3 says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's beautiful. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Again, desire of ages. She had sought to avoid observation, but the ointment filled the room with its fragrance and published her act to all present. Have you done something with such a wonderful fragrance in your life? <laughs> It's an interesting question. Have you done something with such a wonderful fragrance? Any deed done to bless others is fragrant with the love of Jesus. I'm telling you today, my friends, that our world needs this fragrance. Our world is sick with hate. Sick. I mean, there's, there's a war, a battle going on between... Uh, the Palestinians and the Israelis right now. Our country is polarized. Um, people on social media are just, you know, fighting with each other. Our world needs the fragrance of the love of Jesus. And what happens is when your and my heart is filled with the love of Jesus, it overflows like a fragrant perfume and touches everyone around us. They take notice that we have been with Jesus. It's powerful. The guests, recognizing the extravagant gift of the woman, censure the giver. Now you say, why did they do that? Well, you see, when somebody makes such an expression, I mean, this perfume was worth more than 300 denarii. The denarius was a day's wage of a, of a common laborer. So this is like a year's wages, more than a year's wages. And she broke it and poured it all out at one time. That was a lot. Now, they had not done this for Jesus like she had. And so, to cover their shame, they censure the woman. 
many people started scolding her. Can you imagine? Here she had given such a gift to Jesus, and everybody else said how bad it was what she had done. The situation where you were embarrassed in front of a large group, you ever had that happen? You know, <laughs> you just wish the floor would open and you could escape, right? This woman just kind of wanted to just kind of melt away. Because you, you can imagine the fragility of her, of her psyche at this point. She thought she had done something wonderful and everybody else said it was terrible. And she was embarrassed and just started to slink away. And then Jesus spoke up. Jesus makes three statements about the woman's gift. Each statement has three points. Right? What did Jesus say? The first thing he said is, leave her alone. Jesus came to her defense. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. My, the guest of honor stepped up to protect the one who had honored him, as no one else had. Statement number two, you always have the poor. Now, some, some people misinterpret this to say, oh, we always have the poor, we always will, we can just forget the poor. That's not what Jesus meant. <laughs> he said, you always have the poor, you can help them anytime. And guess what? You should. But you don't always have me. He was on his way to the cross. Right? You don't always have me. Here's the third statement. She did what she had. She did what she could, is the way it's usually translated. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And he says, here's, here's the words he says. And truly, this is verse 9. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There are very few stories that appear in all four Gospels. This is one of those stories. Why? Because Jesus said it should. Wherever the Gospel is preached in all the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She, uh, it's interesting, it's usually translated, she, she has done what she could. Well, that's maybe not the best translation. It's a little hard. I'll explain it. It's a little hard to translate this, this phrase. Um, you know, when you say she did what she could, it makes it sound like, well, she couldn't do much, but she did what she could. Right? Well, I mean, she gave more than 300 denarii, so it's not just, uh, oh, she didn't have much. You know, she had a lot, and she did what she could. But actually, the, to, you could translate this, she did what she had. And that, that doesn't make sense in English. So what she had, she turned into an action to honor Jesus. She took her resources and turned them into a blessing by giving them to somebody else. You see? You and I are given resources in life. What are you doing with your resources? Now, you might say, well, I don't have much. Well, I'll bet you you have more <clears throat> than a pastor that Dwight Nelson, the pastor of the Pioneer Memorial Church, met one time in an airport. 
And uh, Pastor Nelson, you know, Adventist pastors don't wear a collar. They wear, well, sometimes they wear bow ties. Um, uh, and so you don't necessarily recognize an Adventist pastor, but, you know, other pastors, you'll see them with their collar. And he was in the airport, and he saw these other pastors standing around talking. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll go and talk with them. So he, he went over, and, it, and, you know, they were saying, he says, I'm a, I'm a pastor too. And, uh, and so the, uh, the other the other pastor saying, oh, what, what church are you a pastor for? He said, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And this one guy lit up like a light bulb, and he said, oh, he said, I love Seventh-day Adventists. They tithe. <laughs> and he was, he was kind of like, well, you know. You, you, you like to say, you know, I love Seventh-day Adventists. They, lo- they love Jesus, you know, or something like that. Then he told a story. He had been a pastor in a communist country before the fall of communism. And uh, he had been put in prison for his faith. And in that prison, there were other prisoners there for their faith, and some of them were Seventh-day Adventists. And the Adventists did something that really impressed this guy. They didn't have much. Their, their food was very meager. Maybe a slice of bread and a you know, a bowl of soup a day. Every 10th meal, the Adventists would give it away to somebody else who needed it more. Don't tell me you don't have anything. Everybody has something. You have something. And tithes and offering are this incredible way where God sets us free from the tyranny of our resources. Because I'm here to tell you that money is seductive. It'll grab hold of your life and it'll rule it if you're not careful. That's why God gave us the responsibility of returning tithes and offerings. And to do other gifts, to do other things, to take what we have and turn it into an action. To turn it into an action. Like my grandson did when he gave all to help that project. And that spoke to other people. That spoke to other people. Oh, so here, here you see is the, uh, the pattern that, uh, you know, and all, all six of these uh, sandwich stories have this kind of uh, patterns. Uh, he's male, she's female. He's Judas, one of the 12. Da, da, da. You know, you expect the 12 to be really good. I, if this was a movie, I'd hear the music would go, da, da, da. one of the 12, you know. He's like, how could he do that? All right. She's unnamed. She's not named because he is named. It's a sense in contrast, see. He betrays Jesus. She honors Jesus. He, the leaders respond to him with joy. The crowd is unhappy and censures her. Hmm. You see, there's a reason why we don't call our children Judas or Jezebel. You know? Now you can name your cat Jezebel but not your daughter, right? There's some things you just don't do, right? He's one of the 12. She's no one of note. He gets a promise of money. If you were selling a car and said somebody said to you, well, let me take possession of it, I'll give you some money. You'd give him the car? I don't think so. You'd be like, well, how much are you going to give me for the car? Oh, I just promise. It'll come. Judas is betraying Jesus without even the cash in hand. 
She honors Jesus with more than 300 denarii. His betrayal, she's honored. His is a, a life focused on death. Hers is life and honor on Jesus. Notice the trajectory of their characters. Judas secretly plots to betray Jesus. He goes away by himself to them. When he comes, when he leads the mob to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't say, there he is, arrest him. He goes up and kisses Jesus with a kiss of friendship. He was a hypocrite. He didn't want them to recognize that he was betraying Jesus. He feigns friendship with that kiss. He is loathed by everyone today. Judas is the name that went down in terrible, terrible ignominy. There's a reason why when artists paint these pictures, they paint a picture of Jesus in Gethsemane, and Judas is coming up to kiss him. It's the high point of that story. It's the great tragedy of this man's character. The woman, on the other hand, honored Jesus with her best gift, silent devotion. She never speaks. She honored Jesus, and the story is retold again and again all around the world. Where is your life headed? What is the trajectory of your character? If you aim at nothing, you are sure to hit it. If you aim at nothing, you are sure to hit it. We need to ask questions at different stages of our journey through life. Some of us are at the early stages, some of us are at the middle stages, and some of us are at the old stages. (laughs) Now, I used to teach ethics at Union College before I went off to the seminary where I teach New Testament, because ethics was my minor area, and nobody else was, I guess, there to teach ethics, and I was teaching ethics. Um, And I also happened to be a, a cellist. The two are not related, except for the fact that I went on tour with a string quartet. We would miss class one day per semester. How many days? One day per semester. And when I was gone, I would give the students a assignment to do, a one-page assignment. I came up with, it's like God struck me with inspiration for a couple of these. One was a prayer assignment where they could either read a couple chapters on prayer and a couple books, or they could pray for half an hour straight and then write a one-page report on the experience. And I would tell them, now, if you think it's legalism to pray for half an hour, please do the other assignment because I don't want you to you know, fall into legalism. But most of them would try out the half hour of prayer, and I got amazing reports back from my students. But the other one I gave to students was uh, like this, and this was like my ethics students. I'd say, all right, I want you to, it's a one-page report, what are your three most important values in your life? Think about that. What are your three most important values in your life? Number two, Why are those your three most important values? Number three, hmm. Name one or more things that you have done in the last year that have affirmed one or more of your three most important values. All right, so what are your three most important values? Why are they your three most important values? Name one or more things that you've done in the last year that have affirmed one or more of those values. I got back some amazing stories. 
I got uh, one student who said how they had a friend who was um, doing drugs. And they went and they confronted them because they could see that this was a downward path that they were destroying their life. Another student who, who talked about how a credit card company had made a mistake of something like $100 in their favor on, the credit, uh, on their uh, credit statement. And they called the company up. Now, students, you know, students are usually poor. That's what I've seen. You know, they will never reject a free meal or nice cookies or, you know, something like that. And here, this student called up the credit card company and told them, you made a mistake in my favor. I want you to correct it, please. Can you imagine, can you imagine that day when that person, when that person at the credit card company hung up the phone and turned to their colleague and said, you'll never believe what just happened. Somebody called me and told me we had made a mistake in their favor and wanted me to correct it. Do you suppose that they hear those kind of phone calls very often at the credit card company? I don't think so. You see, that was the fragrance of their life spreading to people in that credit card company. How have you expressed your precious values in deeds? What is the aroma of your life? Is it unto death or is it unto life? How do you want to be remembered? (laughs) Now here's the story from the Old Testament. Jehoram. King Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. No one was sorry when he died. (laughs) They buried him in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. Now, why in the world did they say that about Jehoram? No one was sorry when he died. Well, here's why. Earlier in the chapter, when Jehoram had ascended to the throne of his father and uh, and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword and some of the princes of Israel. Verse 6, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel and the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let me tell you, it's important who you choose as your friends. It's important who you choose to marry. We are impacted and affected by those around us, our friends, much more than we are willing to admit. We are impacted and affected by our culture much more than we are willing to admit. It's important who you choose as your friends. He chose poorly. Chose the daughter of Ahab as his wife. She influenced him, and no one was sorry when he died. Man, I don't want them to say that about me. I don't want them to say that about you. There's another bad king like this. His name was Herod the Great. He was great for two reasons. He was a great builder, but he was also a great killer. You know the story about the children in Bethlehem. Well, those are not the only people that he killed. He killed his own wife. He killed some of his children. And he was a little bit, he was a little bit, he was crazy before he died. And he had his soldiers lock up 
Some, you can read this in Josephus. He had his soldiers lock up some of the leading men of Palestine in one of his uh, hippodromes, one of his like stadiums, and he told the soldiers, when I die, I want you to kill all these people because I want there to be lots of crying when I die. <laughs> and he died, and the soldiers let them go. No one was sorry when he died. <laughs> That's quite a story. Well, here's another one. This is from Acts chapter 9. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. See, she did what she had. What she had, she turned into action. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood behind, beside him weeping and showing him showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now it's still true today. Men don't know what to do when a woman cries. Now, that's the impact of the woman's tears. Here's what Peter did. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now compare these two. Which will it be in your life, Jehoram or Dorcas? A life no one missed or a life everyone missed? A life of grasping like Judas or a life of giving like Mary? What is the trajectory of your life. Where are you headed? Please, today, sometime, take a while, think it through. Where are you headed? What is the fragrance of your life? Jesus deserves our finest gift, our deepest devotion, our fullest commitment, our greatest love. And then our lives will be fragrant with his love. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these stories in Scripture that teach us and remind us that it's important how we live our life. That we should take time to be a blessing to other people, to let your love fill our hearts and overflow in a fragrance of joy and blessing to everyone we come in contact with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.